Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! So the Lord is really into creating a place and a space where people can come together and become one. There's something really powerful when a church comes together in unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. The root word of unity is the word unit. It means one. And in many cases, you're one that's a part of a bigger one. But the point is, is that God is into unity. In fact, the word community is common unity. The Lord is into creating community and family and a tribe and a people that will stand together, that will fight in the trenches, that will fight for life, that will pray, that will worship and war on your behalf when you can't sometimes. Unity is bringing a people together that are unified, that have a common likeness and a resemblance together. It's not uniformity where everybody has to be like me, but it's where everybody comes into unity by the Holy Spirit under the headship of Christ. That's what brings true unity. God loves unity so much, and when I experience his presence in his life, and when I worship the way that I do, Part of the reason why I'm worshiping, is not worshiping the way that I do and why I'm so excited about worship is not because I have it all together and because I'm perfect, even though he sees me as perfect because I'm his child, but it's because I'm so in need. I'm so desperately hungry for the Lord. In fact, the more my struggles and the more my challenges, the more I've made a decision to lift my hands and to worship and to trust him. Now, my other options are to be depressed, to be worried, to be afraid, and to think that God's mad at me or upset with me or go pound a bunch of shots of tequila, but I'm telling you the better option is always to worship him. Because I've learned that even when I'm facing the valley of the shadow of death, it's just a shadow and I'm only passing through, and I've got a rod and a staff that I can hang on to that will comfort me because I need comfort. And in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my shortcomings, I come to the place where I say, I'm grabbing onto the rod and the staff of the Lord, and I'm going to be comforted by him, and I need him, and I trust him. And then I understand what happens when we sing the songs of, be opened up, you ancient gates and you heavenly doors, that when those gates and those doors open, something happens here. Because I can't just go wave my hand in heaven and not have a care for down here and your life because I understand that God has a purpose and put us here for a reason and that when I get before him, I get a mission, I get a promise, I get a purpose for you. Amen. It's not just for me. God pours out his presence and his love and his power into your life, not so that you can be so heavenly minded and so spiritual that you don't bring a benefit to somebody else because God is into us benefiting each other. The Bible says if I walk in the light as he's in the light and you walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The word fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek, and it means that you actually get a benefit now from my life and I get a benefit from your life. It's mutually beneficial. It means that now we're not just gathering to play church and do our Sunday morning duty because it's the right thing to do, but we're here because we recognize and realize God is building and creating a family of common unity. God wants a community. So when we talk about together and we talk about unity, it's the understanding of tribe. God needs a family. He wants a family. He's into raising up family. This is much more than us going through the motions and having our nice experiences. It's about us coming into his presence and something coming from him into us that benefits each other. Not only my life, but each other. And so David would get the understanding when he would write three, four psalms, all titled, A Song of Ascents. An ascent. You know what an ascent is? To ascend means to climb a mountain, climb a hill, or to take off on a flight and go up. Everybody say go up. Everybody say, go higher. And so when we come into worship, we should be going up and going higher instead of living in our natural-minded selves where we just stay earthly. God wants to raise us up. And so David would write a song of ascents. Now, there are many songs of ascents in the Psalms, but there are only four that David wrote. Psalm 122, 124, 127, and 123. And they're very particular because King David would get understanding and wisdom and insight about the Lord building a house, about us going up. One of those psalms is, let us go up to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said, because he understood the result of what would happen from our action. Now, 
the saying, what goes up must come down, is actually not a true saying. It's actually been proven false. Because if you keep going up high enough after a certain amount of time, gravity will no longer have a pull on you, and you'll go into orbit. But there is a general understanding of cause and effect. Everybody say cause and effect. Basically, everything's a sacrifice. You came here this morning on a, I don't know if it's still raining, but it was raining early, on a rainy Saturday mor Sunday morning when you could have been doing a lot of other things. And I want you to know how thankful I am that you would come. Because I understand coming here, some of you drove from Cal Allen, Annaville, Port Aransas, got out of bed, babies, kids, raining. It had been so much easier to stay in bed. Or there's hundreds of other churches that you could have gone to, but you chose to come here. Park in a shopping center parking lot and walk right in next to a Dollar General. And come into a place in an atmosphere that has extravagant worship and praise. And for many of you, it goes too long and you don't understand. But I want you to understand that worship is a reflection of our heart. And worship is an understanding that we're so loved and we're so cared for. And he's rescued us so much and he's provided so much for us that I can't not. And I come to the place where I realize, I come to the place where I realize love covers a multitude of sins. So now I don't come in and thinking of my shame and my failures and my shortcomings. But instead, I'm going to do a ninja flip. And instead of being depressed and anxious and worried and afraid, I'm going to go, man, I need you more than ever. Because I've been worshiping like this through many, many failures for a very, very long time. And I'm talking about the hardest stuff you could ever, ever imagine going through. My hands were in the air trusting him and praising him. Because I understand how good he is and how much he loves me. I'm not paying homage to a God that wants to kill me. Because nobody wants to worship a God that doesn't like you or is mad at you. Now you better do your penance and lift your hands so that he'll be pleased with you. Lie from the pit of hell. Instead, I come in and I say, man, I know God loves me. I know he cares for me. And I know I'm desperate. And he's always been there. And he's never failed me no matter what I face. Man, I'm worshiping you with everything inside of me. And then I understand because I read my Bible that there's seven different forms of praise. One of the forms of praise is raving calamitously. It means extravagant dancing. And I don't, it's not a personality type, nor am I trying to make you like me. In fact, for some of you, if you don't lift your hands, fine. But if I could just get you to do this. I'll be happy. I'm talking even just anything instead of checked out. And I understand that some of you will come late just to skip worship. And I want you to know I'm okay with that because I love you. I'd rather you be here than not. And if some of you fall asleep in my preaching, that's okay too. Fall asleep, lay out. If there's seats next to you, if you can find one, make a couch. I don't care because you're going to hear it in your spirit. This isn't a religious thing. I'm not angry at you if you come or don't come. I'm not angry at you if you worship or don't worship. But what I'm trying to do is get you to think differently, live differently, and believe differently. One of the words of worship is the word zamar, and it means to worship strictly on the instruments. So we have a 20-minute song, and you're thinking, man, this is like a Fish or Grateful Dead concert, and it's not. I'm trying to tell you that we're praising God on our instrument, and I'm letting out praise now when it used to be doobies and checkout and parting. Now I'm worshiping, and I'm saying, let it rip, guitar, turn it up, crank it up, shakarabasan. I'm just letting my, my praise and my fragrance come out even when I'm broken. Because the prostitute would take her $250,000 of spikenard, her very dowry that she had saved up for marriage, and she was saving it so, it was so important to her, she would prostitute herself and save the dowry while she gave herself away to false lovers. But when the right lover came, when Jesus came, she said, finally, what I've been saving up and waiting so long, my $250,000 of spikenard, my very most precious thing, I will break open at his feet and I'll bow down and wash even when I don't feel worthy, even when the Pharisees are trying to put shame on you, even when the devil's trying to lie to you, you don't care anymore. And you fall down on the ground and you weep in tears and you break open the alabaster jar and your hair starts washing his feet and you start anointing the king with everything inside of you, even when she was just sleeping with another lover the night before. And we have a false warped perception about God's love and how much he cares. And yeah, I'm fired up. I'm not angry. Smile. I'm fired up today. And I'm fired up because so many people are believing a lie. 
This is not, I am not here for your money or to get more butts in the seat. I'm here because God's raising up a family and a community and an army. This isn't about nice playing religion anymore. This is a reality to me. And when I can get you to finally wake up to the reality of Jesus, something starts popping. You start living, thinking, acting differently. If you get around the fire enough, you'll finally get hot. If you get around the marinade enough, you'll start smelling like the marinade. And that's why God is so into unity and oneness because there's a likeness and a resemblance. I came to prayer yesterday. I made it to prayer a few times the last couple months. I'm sitting in the circle. We had had some time where we were thinking about what God was showing us, and I just wanted to hear what God was showing everybody else. We sat in a circle. Doug and Mary stood up and said, what was God showing you? And suddenly I started hearing all these different people that are part of our church being fascinated and awakened in wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Lord. And my heart starts sleeping. I'm going, man, that's, yeah, that's good. That's what I would say. Oh, my gosh, how did you get that? That's incredible revelation. And suddenly I'm a proud papa, not because they've become like me in the sense of uniformity, but because there's unity in the Holy Spirit that makes us one. And let me tell you something, God is into unity, one. God is into unity, which is where we get the word community, and it's an understanding that when we come into unity, something benefits you. You get benefits. Koinonia means there's a family benefit that only comes from being in the family. And I'm not just talking about Rock City, by the way. We're not the church of utopia, we're not Utopia Church, okay? You need to understand there are millions and millions of on fire, radical, I mean radical Christians just like us. Everybody say, just like us. Say, all over the world. People just like us. I'm telling you, there's people preaching this message that are lit up and on fire. You got to get past the little religious, denominational, controlling, manipulated old folk church around the corner. I'm talking about the power of God pouring out, and he's lighting up because it's a church of God all over the world. So when I'm worshiping, I realize, man, I got people in Nigeria worshiping, in India. I got people in even Iran and China. There are believers all over the world that are doing what we're doing. And I get to be a part of a family now all over the world, and I have a family right here. Because God sets the isolated and the lonely in families. I'm going to show you that today. But unity produces something. It produces good and pleasure. And the word for good anywhere in the Bible isn't just like, man, that looks good. It's not about how cool the sound soak panels are and those Edison light bulbs and wow, that, the, the music and this and that. It's about the fact that it's so good that it benefits me. It's like eating good food that's good for you, that when you eat it, it makes you a better, it makes you healthier. It's the understanding that this is good because it brings a benefit into my life, okay? And so good and pleasure are interchangeable. The word pleasure also means delight. And it's the understanding that this does something to me like a sweet sounding musical or like the best Broadway opera or something that sounds so good like the sound of a harp that's played just right or a dulcimer or music that awakens you. It's good, it benefits you, it brings life to you and then it also brings pleasure and pleasure is a sense of happiness. I'm pleased. Therefore, I have a sense of happiness. And so David would write this song that's, that's the understanding of let's go up the mountain, let's ascend, let's climb up, because when we go up, something is going to come down. Listen, there's a sacrifice to everything. There's a cause and effect to everything. When we worship and we become uni unified together as one, when we dwell together in unity, David will get the revelation. When we dwell together in unity, something's going to go up and something's going to come down. And so in Psalm 133, verse 1, David would say, behold. Now, anytime you see behold, the word behold, anytime in the Bible, is the understanding of pay close attention. I got to show you something. When I have guests coming from out of town, I love to to have them behold. I take them to the tea heads. I love our city, by the way. I take them out to the island. I tell them stories about our city that I've learned. I take them over under the bridge by the water, and I say, behold, where I love to spend time with the Lord. I love to behold. To behold means look, see, and pay, play, pay really close attention to what you're about to understand today. Because today I'm going to teach you something and challenge you to live differently. That when you walk out these doors, God makes us to become something even more. And he pours out his spirit in such a profound way that we flip cities, we flip churches, we flip nations upside down. Because we've been flipped upside down. Yeah. And so he says, behold, 
how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Remember, unity, one, common unity. God wants us to become one. The understanding of together means a resemblance or a likeness that comes from people being in a family. Now, brethren is a very unique word. Brethren is the word for fam- is a familial word, as in a family word. It's the understanding of blood relative, and it's the understanding of your part of the family. But here's the challenge. The challenge is, is that more often than not, we have family members that aren't living, aren't loving, and aren't serving God. And a lot of times, those family members won't understand or won't like the fact that you're serving God. And that's what happened to Jesus early on. Now, ultimately, they'd come around, James, Mary, I mean, they'd come around. But in the beginning, they thought to themselves, what is Jesus doing? He's out of his mind. I could show it to you in the Bible. And so Jesus is in a house ministering, and he's enthroned with people, and people are getting healed, delivered, and he's teaching. And here comes Jesus's mother and brothers, and they're at the door. They can't even get in. There's so many people. And the leaders and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, your mother and your brothers are outside. And Jesus points to his disciples and he says to them, who are my mother, my brother, and my brothers and my sisters? Let's pull it up. Matthew. Chapter 12, verse 50 says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Anywhere in the Bible that you see the understanding of brethren, please hear me out. When you see the understanding of the term brethren, it's talking about the family of God. Now, I'm not weird and religious about it. I see people, hey, what's up, bro? Bro is short for brother. I say, hey, what's happening, brother? Yeah, dap it. Come on, brother, yeah. What's up? Last thing I want you to do is somebody comes to you and says, hey, brother, and you go, you're not my brother. You're not doing the will of God. Let's get past the religious weird thing. The point I'm trying to tell you is that God, Jesus is talking about a family that he puts you into and calls you brothers, mothers, and sisters. God's into family. And many times your own family will reject Christ, not want to live for Christ, not understand, oh, you're going to stay abstinent? What's the matter with you? Oh, you don't drink anymore? You've really lost your mind. Oh, you're going to church all the time? You're so churchy. You're so spiritually minded. You're no heavenly good. And you're all rocked out with Jesus and getting fired up. And your own family's telling you that you've lost your mind. That's what Jesus said. And that's why Jesus used the extreme analogy. If anybody comes to me and doesn't hate his mother and brother, it's an extreme analogy. God doesn't want you to hate your family. But the point is, is nothing comes before Jesus. Nothing. And you still love your family, even if they're atheists and they tell you you're crazy and you've lost it. You better love them even more. Get past your old religious self. But even my own family doesn't understand. I have family that are not living for Jesus and born again, and they just simply do not understand how I can be sold out for Jesus. And how all I want to do is, this is so fun for me. This isn't even work for me. All you're getting to see is what I have been sowing to privately, and then it's rewarded publicly. And I'm not even doing it to be, report, re, to be done publicly. This is a message that's been in my heart for such a long time. And what I'm telling you is that people are not going to understand when you sow privately and then suddenly what's coming out of you doesn't make sense to them. And a lot of times they're going to be jealous or they're not going to like it because suddenly you're all lit up and fired up and living right and they're not. It happens. I hear it all the time. And I'm not saying it's you. Get past the guilt shame thing. What I'm telling you is God wants you to be lit up on fire, and he wants to put you into a family like you've never had. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about a family like we've never had. Now, let's go back to 133 verse 1. So it's good and it's pleasant when we're dwelling together in unity, but there's an understanding of dwelling together. If you really want unity and you want the benefits that come from the family blessing, you've got to dwell together in unity. Now, dwelling together in unity is a really, really powerful understanding. Dwelling together is the same understanding of us dwelling in the secret place with the Lord. It means we sit, we remain, we inhabit, and it's also the same word for getting married. So when I got married with my wife, we started dwelling together. And in our dwelling together, over the course of time, God joins us together fully in marriage, and then we learn through the process of marriage of becoming one. And so God would even use marriage as a picture of unity. In in fact, the ultimate picture of becoming one. 
He would say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means 100% death the way that Jesus laid his life down. It means you're fully laying your life down to honor, love, and serve your wife. And women, love your husbands or submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. To the degree that a woman submits to the Lord is to the degree that they'll submit to their husbands. If you have an unbridled wife that's not submitted to the Lord, she'll never be able to fully submit. And I'm not talking about submitted like a doormat and the man's ruling her. I'm not talking about some machismo thing in this culture. I'm talking about the fact that they understand that without my wife, without her as the strength and stability of my life, first Jesus, and then God gives me a help, a helpmate that I stand face to face with. Now she becomes a foundation that I stand upon that strengthens me. But the world's lie is that women become a doormat. So the actual word for submission is hypostasis. It means to stand upon as a firm foundation. And the Bible actually says that our faith is a substance, which is the rock of Christ that we stand on. And in the world without Jesus, husbands will make their wives doormats. Shakaraba. I'm telling you, that's how dysfunctional it is. <clears throat> and a lot of men don't like the way that I preach about women. But I got this revelation. God used the mirror at the bronze lever as, as the mirrors from the women that assembled at the gate of the tabernacle. I got this understanding that it was a woman that he first revealed himself to. I got this understanding that in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, when Luke is writing about everybody being gathered together, the first thing he says, and all the women were there and Mary was there. Oh, and by the way, there was some men there. <laughs> Say, man, we need more men in the church. We need more. We got to preach about more men. And listen, we're going to do that. But I'm telling you right now, God's about a bride. And he's about raising up a voice of a bride. And I'll be happy to be a bride. Let me just tell you right now. And I know that sounds weird, but I'm the bride of Christ. And I'm a picture. I'm a reflection to the world of what it means to be, be betrothed to the lover. I'm in love. And when you're in love, man, I'm sparkling. I'm shining. I'm fired up. And I love you. That's why I teach messages like last week. I teach messages how looking at the Lord is like looking in a mirror. And what you see when you look at the Lord is what he sees. That now when I see you and when I see myself, I'm seeing the way that Jesus sees. And I show pictures of the tabernacle and how when we now get washed and cleansed, we get a healthy reflection and a picture of ourselves when we get baptized, when we get washed in the water of the word. But you've got to understand the kingdom of God is caught, not taught. I know some of you want behavior modification, five points, five principles, and I'll give you some good stuff. But what I'm trying to do is to speak life into you and for you to catch something. And a lot of times you don't even realize it, but when you sit in it and you stay consistent, you walk out, it's like something's happening. Something's changing in me because you get around the fire and you get around an anointing. And I'm not saying it's even me. It's the presence of God in this place. And so how good and how pleasant it is when brethren... When the people of God dwell together, when they become like-minded, when they resemble each other, and when they become one. Now, unity can't reside on my shoulders or one man or the pastor alone. It has to reside on Jesus. Even though we carry the government of God on our shoulders on earth, ultimately, he is the governor. And ultimately, he is the one that's establishing his kingdom. And so if your unity hinges upon coffee with me, we got a problem. If it hinges on you have to have a personal pastor like you once had when the church was really small, we've got a problem. Because Jesus understood that through 12 people and then 120 at Pentecost, the world would be evangelized and globalized. And so he would have to empower people to be his hands and his feet. So what happens is, is you've got to get healthy, come into unity, and in turn I raise up people like this guy who every single week has a men's meeting here teaching men how to be men. And then I raise up this woman who is raising up a team to respond whenever there's an accident. or And then I raise up this woman right here who is constantly having meetings every week. And then I have Connie who's having restoring our identity every week. And then I've got Doug and Mary doing prayer meetings. And you say, man, that sure is a busy church. But I'm not busy because I'm trying to get your money or get more people here for the sake of doing church. The last thing I want to do is just build another church. I want a family and a community and a tribe. And I need you and we need each other. Because there's a resulting action that you're going to see happens when we dwell together in unity. And what I'm telling you is we do a lot of things so that we can learn this scripture and understand the benefits that come from it. That's why we have prayer twice a month. We have a grief share class on Tuesday nights that Patty leads. And 
and then or Thursday nights and then now ROI is starting for 12 weeks and then prayer twice a month and then men's meetings and women's meetings and all these different events and things that we're doing to create life so we can do life together because I understand how important dwelling together is and the devil understands it too so what the devil does is he tries to get you isolated alone and to believe a lie man I've been going to that church for a year I don't really need church I don't really need church. I'll just go once a month, once every couple months, because I don't really need to be in relationship with other Christians and other believers, because they're all jacked up and religious anyway. Lie from the pit of hell. And I'm sorry for every church and every religious thing that did it wrong when you were a child and all the stuff to try to put stuff, but we're out to create a family, and family requires relationship, and family requires dwelling together, and family requires us to make a commitment, because I understand the benefits that come from it. I understand that I need trench fighters that will pray for me and war with me and love me and stand with me and help me when I'm all alone and I have nowhere, no one else. Because the devil wants to get you isolated and alone and to believe a lie that you're not good enough. And if they really knew who you were, if I really knew who you were, man, I wouldn't like you, which is a lie. I've heard it all, seen it all, I'm going to love you. In fact, when I hear the most jacked up stuff in the world, two lovers, still married, adultery, five kids, six different wives, incest, murder. I mean, I have heard it all. I'm telling you, I have heard it all. And you know what I say? Well, that's pretty normal for the world. That doesn't shock me at all. That's what the world does. Now let's get you into normal. Let's get you into real normal in the kingdom of God, and let's get you healthy. Because love covers a multitude of sins. So when I'm looking at you, I'm thinking, how can I cover you? How can I be a garment and bring a mantle that covers you and calls you out of shame? Because here's what the devil does. Here's what the devil does. Can I put my hands on your face? The devil does this. Look up here, everybody. Come on. I got a word for every person in this room today. This isn't a ploy to get you into more church. It's an employee to get in your pocketbook. I could care less. If you don't want to be here, don't come. I love you very much. And sometimes when you don't want to be here, you're going to get the most out of it, trust me. The point I'm trying to tell you is I love you, be here, because you want to be here. And my leader should never put pressure on you. So the devil's doing this to Doug. The devil's telling Doug how jacked up the church is. You don't need to be in relationship. You're a Christian. Go be a renegade minister. Or you know what? You're full of shame, and if they really knew you, and everything's, and he's just lying. He's accusing you day and night, Romans 12.10. I'm sorry, Revelation 12.10. It's in the Bible. Every day, night and day, he's trying to accuse you, which means he's telling you there's something wrong with you, Doug. They'll never really like you. It's just like the way it was when you were a child. They're a bunch of religious freaks. They're never going to care about you. You're never going to have friends. You're always going to get kicked when you're down. They're never gonna, you're never going to get free. You're going to try, but you're only going to go back again. Right? So the devil's got their eyes blinded. This is all in the Bible, by the way. So that the glorious light of the gospel doesn't shine upon him. But then I come along. Put your arms, your hand over your face. And then I come along and I say, Doug, listen. Jesus, I know you made a lot of mistakes, but Jesus loves you. Man, he gave his life when you were in the midst of sin, when you were fully far from God. He died on the cross and he's never giving up in you. He's a God of a thousand chances and you're full of destiny and you're full of life. And slowly as I'm telling you how much God loves him, what's happening? Slowly but surely, there's a light of the gospel, good news, coming into his eyes and his heart. And now he starts thinking differently, and he starts believing differently. It's the power of unity and the power of us becoming one, and me saying, I care so much about you that I'm going to esteem him more than me. The Bible says esteem others more than yourself, which kills selfish living. Now check this out. If I'm going to love you more than myself, esteem you more than myself, how do I do that? I better have the bar really, really high for me. It means I better, it means if I'm going to do this right, if I'm really going to make this about Colton, and I care so much about him, more about him than me, I'm not after his money, I'm not trying to coerce him to come to church, I'm not trying to manipulate him with weird religion like so many of you were, when you check out and you don't want to be a part anymore because it was so jacked up and you don't understand God's love, and now I start telling him. And I start, man, saying, man, Jesus loves you. He's pouring out his spirit. You're about to get rocked with the fire of God. You're going to be so lit up, you're never going to be the same. He's going to barrel roll you in his love. And suddenly he starts waking up. He starts ascending. And next thing you know, it's like, man, I can't wait to be there front row. I'm all in. I've never been more excited about church ever than I've ever been. That's me. I actually really love this and want to be. I'm having so much fun. I didn't even have to try. I hardly spent a whole lot of time preparing this message. You know why? Because the message is in me. Because I cultivate it in my personal life. And now I love Colton so much, it's like suddenly we start dwelling together. 
suddenly Colton has said, I want to dwell with you. And now, because he's made that choice of dwelling together with me, there's a benefit coming to his life. And it's a benefit that he can't resist because it's not manipulative and religious anymore. Now, suddenly, you're not worried and afraid or ashamed. Suddenly, he's saying, and you're saying, man, I, I want every benefit that I can get. The understanding of being fruitful is that there's something coming out of my life that benefits you. It's right for the picking. And it's not my checkbook. It's not my, my money. It's the fact that God brings life in the midst of unity. So check this out. One of the causes and effects, or the, one of the effects of us dwelling together in unity is it becomes good and pleasant. It means I have a sense of well-being. I have a sense of happiness. Good things are happening to my life. It's beneficial for me, right? Very, very important for you to understand. A lot of people say, man, this church is so busy. Remember, I make a lot of opportunities and I create a lot of spaces so you can get into relationship. If you're saying I've been going to this church for a year and I don't know anybody and I'm not in a relationship and I wish they, look, we're not chasing you down and calling you. That is the last thing we're going to do here. My leaders don't have time for that and neither do I. Instead, what I'm saying to you is, look, get involved, get plugged in. People want time with me. They're like, pastor, 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 pastor. Look, get with Jesus, and I'm not going to keep enabling you said it's always about me, but you get with Jesus, and then in turn, you get in a relationship with other people, okay? So we're building and growing a holistic church. We're empowering the five-fold ministry. Now, I want you to notice there's nobody here named prophet so-and-so. There's nobody here named evangelist so-and-so. There's nobody here named apostle so-and-so. Now, there is a pastor, part of it's our culture, and I'm not against titles, nor am I saying there's not ministry offices. But imagine if in a group of people, there's a nature that's being awakened in all of you, and now suddenly each of you are starting to prophesy and declare and love differently and evangelize, and now you're taking territory in your work and your marketplace in the home, then suddenly I got the fivefold ministry working all within the church, which causes, if you read Ephesians 4, it says that the five purpose of the fivefold ministry is to bring us together into unity and a perfect man. Everybody say a perfect man. Okay? It's why identify, it's why identity and self in who God is is so critical. It's why we must get in the trenches and do life together. It's why we must create a culture of honor, love, trust, and respect without offenses and selfishness. You've got to get past offenses. You've got to get past being upset when somebody didn't do this for you or call you back or wasn't there when you needed. Get into relationship and become something, and you'll see benefits come into your life. Now, there's two things that happen when we make the decision to dwell together in unity. When unity happens, there's two things that happens. Number two, verse two. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. Verse three, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing forevermore. Let's go back to verse two. This is a picture of Jesus, the high priest. Okay, so in the Old Testament, Aaron was the high priest. And every year, Aaron would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And God had given him very specific instructions to make an anointing oil or a precious oil. It had cinnamon, it had cane, it had myrrh in it, and it was a lot. And he said, never reproduce this in any way for any other form. It's only for the work of the service in the, in the ministry I want you to anoint everything in the tabernacle, and I want you to anoint yourself. Why? Because it's a type and shadow of Jesus, the high priest, pouring out his spirit and his anointing. So think modern day. Think Jesus here. David is saying, because Jesus hadn't come, so he had Aaron as his picture. But there's, this is, in a sense, an analogy of something else. It's like the precious oil first upon the head. Well, the head in Hebrew is the word Rosh. It's the word where we get Rosh Hashanah, the chief or the king or the head of the year. So it's like the precious oil coming on the high priest, down his face and down his garments. First Jesus, okay? But then it's an understanding of what happens in our midst. It's an understanding of when we finally come together in unity and we dwell together in unity, it's good, it's pleasant, and then in turn, this is what happens. The high priest Jesus pours out his presence, his love, his love, his life 
first upon your head, which changes the way you think, then upon your beard, which changes your countenance. Now I'm fired instead of a lemon-sucking hunchback Christian where I'm doing my church duty in the midst of worship again. Oh, man, another worship thing, and I'm checked out on my phone and everything else because I don't really want to be here. Now suddenly my countenance and my life lights me up because I'm together with you and I'm together with him, and suddenly everything is shifting because there's something pouring out upon my life. So David says, when you dwell together in unity and you look up to the Lord, it's a song of ascents. Remember this. It's a song of ascending. Everybody say ascending. So we're going up together. We're dwelling together in unity. We go up together, and now it's like this. Understand, it is like. Everybody say, it is like. It's like this. Aaron would be anointed, and it would come down his beard and down his garment. Jesus would then ascend to heaven, be anointed. It would come down his head, his beard, and into his garment. Now, Jesus' garment is his mantle. It's his covering. It's his clothes. It's what surrounds him. And Jesus' mantle was so powerful that in Matthew 14, 34, it says this. When Jesus and the disciples had crossed over, they came to the land of a sweet-sounding harp. That's what Gennesaret means. It means harp. So there's, they go to a land of a music, and they go into the land of the music, and what happens? When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it, everybody say, as many, as, many. as touched the hem of his garment were what? Made perfectly well. In Mark 6:56, it says, wherever Jesus entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in where? Out in the marketplace, not even in the church. I'm talking out in the marketplace. And they begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, 12 years she could not stop bleeding, and no physician could help her. Now Jesus comes walking by, and he's enthronged. He's completely surrounded, I mean being crushed in by disciples and Pharisees and all these people. And sitting on the side is a woman who's sick. Twelve years bleeding out, no physician could help her. Twelve years. There goes Jesus walking by. Now can you imagine if she said to herself, look at that sect, that, I, that, those religious leaders, and Jesus is all surrounded by his own little group, and I don't even fit in. He's got all his leaders around him, and he's not even paying attention to me. And she thought to herself, I could let him keep going, but I've been sick for 12 years, and I've been hearing about him healing people, and I believe that he's got the power. And despite all those people that are surrounding him and even telling others to get away and get back, I'm going to do whatever it takes. So she springs to her feet, and she runs, and she pushes through the crowd just to barely, and I mean barely, barely get her hand up in there to touch the hem of his garment, which on the hem of his garment were the promises and commandments of God and, she, and his virtue and his strength. Because the oil of, of the Lord came down upon the garment and the garment had an anointing on it. And today, the Bible says, if anybody's sick among you, let the elders of the church take some anointing oil and anoint them that they may be well. Because it's a picture and an understanding that everything on earth should be as it is in heaven. So now Jesus is pouring out his anointing and it's coming down on my head, your head. And now suddenly your face starts changing. Now suddenly you start smiling. Now suddenly you stop believing a lie. And suddenly you realize the devil's been lying to you. You want to know the greatest compliment you can give me as a pastor? Let me tell you the greatest compliment you can give me as a pastor. Is when you finally say to me, man, I realized that my whole life, I've been missing it. I've been lied to. I've been a Christian for 15, 20 years. Man, I've been going to church, falling asleep. It's never been exciting. Man, I just realized finally who I am and who he is, and I'm so lit up on fire. Wow, I have been lied to for so long. I said, you finally got it. Because now you come to the revelation and realization that you are a mighty man, a mighty woman of God, full of promise, full of destiny, and then the next thing you say to do is I got to get around people that are like that. You've got to get around people that are going to lift you up and pull you up and speak life to you. And that's why you get into relationship, even with people that aren't perfect. Because you're not either, by the way. Newsflash. <laughs> now, you're perfect in God's eyes, and he's calling you higher, and he wants you to love perfectly. But the point I'm trying to tell you is God is building an army. And we've got to come to the place where we're not just an audience. Yeah. I'm not out to build an audience, everybody. 
Thank you for coming. I'm out to build an army. Shakaraba. Woo! Yeah! So some people won't like my style or like my preaching. Some people got upset that they don't have the cool long hair pastor anymore. And if my hair made me cool and they came because of that, then they needed to go. Sorry. But the point I'm trying to tell you is that God is building an army, and it's not about style and preference. Some people don't like heavy screen core Christian rock music. But guess what? They're reaching a group of people you might never reach. It's style and preference. What do I think of hip-hop? Style and preference. If they're preaching the gospel in their music, style and preference. I may not like screen core to the degree I like, I like rock and roll. I like Christian rock. I don't really get into the screen core thing, but some people do. And if that's what they like, awesome. Praise God. Are you, let's see the fruit of your life. That's what matters the most. It's not about style and preference. The reason why we worship long is because I'm trying to create an atmosphere where you'll finally say, you know what, God? Man, I'm giving you my all. It's not about performance, four songs, 20 minutes, four minutes a song, five minutes a song. We finally come to the place where now, look, when Lauren got up there and these, this worship team was letting loose, I was so happy. Amen. When she's saying, man, when she's taking up 10 minutes and preaching the gospel and talking about the Lord, I'm like, go, girl, go, let it rip. Let it rip because that's what I want, okay? And so... If the hem of his garment is so important, now think about this. We get covered, when we dwell together in unity, there's an anointing that comes upon our life, our head, our face, and our garment. And now when people come here, they experience life. That's what I want. Or they get around you, they experience life. Okay? So this is one of the great things about unity. The second thing that's so amazing about unity and how it transforms our lives is verse 3. It's the understanding of Hermon pouring out water upon the mountains of Zion. Now, let me help you understand this for a minute. Does anybody know what Mount Hermon means? <laughs> it means sanctuary. Hermon means sanctuary. Anybody know what Zion means? It means parched place. It means dry ground. And Mount Hermon, the highest place in Israel, is known for all the precipitation it gets. Snowfall, rain, and it's Mount Hermon that actually feeds the Jordan River. And then David in Psalm 42 said, deep calls to deep at the noise of the waterfalls, or the headwaters, it says, at the headwaters, which is up on Mount Hermon. So David understood that the dew or the night mist that comes in the morning, the night mist from the night that comes in the morning, the precipitation coming from the sanctuary of God washes, renews, cleanses, and refreshes every dry, hard place inside your heart. And actually, out of the dry places, God will make a new Jerusalem because Hebrews 12 says all of us can now come to Mount Zion. Zion is an understanding of God's dwelling place, Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem, that now it's not like the Old Testament, but all of us can go together. If you read Hebrews 12, 22, and 23, it says we now have a mountain. That all of us can go to and dwell together in unity. This is a spiritual understanding of how powerful you and I becoming one is. If you'll get into relationship and learn to dwell together, come into my, my wife's mom's group. Come into the young adults meeting on Friday night. Come into Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. Look, the last thing I want is another busy church, but I want to create family. And I, I understand if we start dwelling together in unity, you know what's going to happen? This will become a pool and a place of healing. And the garment of Jesus will be resting in this place. And one person comes in and touches the presence of God. Some of you just keep coming because you just love the atmosphere of worship and the presence and the love that you feel here. And if you just stay in this, you'll get healed. Some of you are already getting healed. Some of you just got born again. You're like, I, don't even, I didn't even answer an altar call. I'm just living for Jesus all of a sudden. Just stick around. I'm telling you, it's contagious. So Mount Zion is a dry, parched place, but it's the place that God would pick and choose because that's what he does. God fixes broken. He takes your dry, dry, cracked riverbed of your heart and says, watch out, here comes a flood. And you know where it's coming from? My sanctuary. Woo, there's an anointing on that. So God says, look, what I'm into is unity. You simply cannot just keep coming to church every now and then isolating yourself, being alone, or just sticking with your family that's not on fire with Jesus. And I'm not telling you I ostracize my family. What I'm telling you is, is God's got a new family for you. And from Mount Hermon, the sanctuary, the highest mountain of God, is coming down onto Mount Zion, and just below the snow level in Israel, below the snow level of Mount Hermon are lush 
poplar trees, gardens, pines, oaks, all coming from the top of Mount Hermon down into Mount Zion. And do you know Mount Hermon is actually a mountain range of three mountains? And it's the understanding that God from the Trinity of Heaven is pouring out his love, his unity, and his relationship on a group of people that will make the choice to lay down their differences, get over your offenses. I'm sorry, guess what? I'm already going to make you mad somehow. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. We're imperfect. Get past it. No other church is that much different. We become the church that makes the difference. And you don't put it all on me. You put it on each other as a family to do community, common unity together. And it was from Mount Zion that Aaron, the high priest, stretched out his hand and commanded life forevermore. And that's what I'm commanding over all of you is life forevermore. And I'm talking about God's life. I'm talking about the Zoe kind of life. I'm talking about a life that makes you animate, fired up. Now my face, I'm not downcast anymore, but suddenly I'm lit up and it's authentic. It's real. And it's a a, a love and a life that comes no matter what I face. And I'm telling you, I face some of the hardest stuff anybody could ever imagine, ever imagine going through. So is my wife. And she's writing and she's loving and she's pursuing. And look, she's investing into me and and our kids. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I didn't have somebody like her in my life. So it's life forevermore. It's everlasting life. It's It's the God kind of life. And the God kind of life far outweighs the worldly kind of life. And so what happens when people dwell together in unity? What happens when a group of people come together in one accord? Look at Acts 1.14. In Acts 1.14, Jesus had taken off. It's 10 days later, and they're all praying in an upper room. They're in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. I'm just saying. The women and Mary and the mother of Jesus. <laughs> And with his brothers. Acts 2.1. This is what I want at Rock City. Suddenly, you come together and you lay hands and pray. I came to prayer about three, four weeks ago. And we were all up here laying hands on each other. And I never felt so one together with the people in unity in one accord as we were praying. That when I walked out of this place yesterday and every time I come, I am so lit up. When I stand with Billy on an on a early morning when he's working at my house, our general contractor. And we lay hands on each other, suddenly I'm lit up. When you're downcast, I say, come here, let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for supernatural life. I thank you that this man is a man after your heart. I thank you, God, that you're touching him and you're healing him. Suddenly he walks away feeling encouraged and strengthened and more alive. Suddenly we break off shame. If I can get you out of shame and stop thinking yourself less than, stop believing that you're such a failure, you're never going to get it, the church is jacked up. Those are all lies from the devil. He's a liar. I'm going to tell you every week because every day he's trying to accuse you that there's something wrong with you. Every day and night, the Bible says, Revelation 12.10. So guess what I'm going to do every day and night? If he's doing it every day and night, you're doing it every day and night. You're doing it over yourself. You're doing it over your neighbor. I say to myself every day, you're a son. The devil comes and tells me, man, your son's not going to pull through. You know, what if this happens? Or you know what, your finances in the coffee shop, you spend all that money. And what happens if this? And you're going to go bankrupt. And I'm like, you know what? The devil's always trying to accuse me and tell me I'm not good enough and I'm not going to make it and all this. You're a liar, devil. Jesus says that, I'm, that I am blessed coming and going. Jesus says that I'm his son. The Bible says that I'm more than a conqueror. I'm an ambassador. I'm a representative. I mean, I just start believing lies. And I'm not quoting scripture just to quote scripture. I'm quoting it because I believe it and I have authority behind it. And I declare through the word, not just for good religious duty. I know it and I believe it. And so here the disciples are praying in an upper room and suddenly tongues of fire and wind starts coming and suddenly this church starts getting lit up. People are popping like popcorn and suddenly we're on fire because there's fire in the room and suddenly there's tongues of fire and and suddenly this church isn't some dead, boring, lifeless church but now we're dancing, now we're shouting, kick our shoes off. You say, oh man, that's so weird. Well, then get rid of the Bible because the Bible is full of supernatural stuff. And at some point, you just say, you know what? I'm not going to live in my old religious mindset and dysfunction. I'm not going to feed myself and my dysfunctional stuff from the world. I'm getting lit up and get on fire. And I'm not out to create another fun, play, pretend church. I'm looking for an army. God is looking for an army. Read your Bible, spend time with him, and get into relationship with one another. Because when we get into unity, I'm telling you, open up, you ancient gates. Open up. I'm going like this. You watch me in worship, and I'm going... You think, man, pastor's on drugs today. 
I'm up there and I'm shot, got it. Yeah. Oh, and I'm because I'm warfaring, I'm worshiping, I'm believing what I'm singing and playing. I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I got over myself. I already know that you're going to think I'm crazy or somebody is. Or this church is too long. He preaches too long. Worships too long. So what? Look at what's happening. God is raising up an army and he's going to pick people just like you. Everybody say just like me. Say it again all over the world. People just like me. Ragtag fishermen, cussing, foul mouthing. He's going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. And when you've been fishing on one side and you've had no luck, guess what? You're going to fish on the other side. You're going to catch so much fish. You're going to go, okay, you really are the Son of God. Oh, man. And then I'm going to jump out of the boat. I'm going to jump out of my comfort zone. And I'm going to walk on water. And I'm coming after Jesus because I believe in the miraculous. And I believe that God is showing himself mightily and going to shower down a blessing. And now there's a mantle on this church and there's a mantle on our life that produces life. And when we get into one accord, I'm talking wind, fire, it's all in the Bible, Pentecost full time. If you go to that Pentecostal church, people think snakes and weird and all this kind of stuff. Oh man, you go to that Pentecost, is your church Pentecostal? They think, oh man. And I'm telling you, we're prophesying, casting out demons. Like, oh man, that guy, we had a guy come here that was doing the lights and said, man, I'm surprised I didn't see any snakes. I had heard all this weird stuff about your church. I said, yeah, we're pretty normal. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need some fire in your life. Well, yeah, you know what? You're right. I've been living pretty dry and in a parched land. I need some water from heaven. I said, come here. Come here and grab a hold of me. That's a big part of laying on of hands. You think it's weird laying on of hands? Sometimes you got to reach out and touch somebody. Yeah. Sometimes you got to let somebody touch you and invade your space. God is a space invader. Yeah. And he's better than Galaga. And my wife's going, huh? Uh, Galaga? I love Galaga. I love space invaders. I'm telling you that God wants to invade your space, and he uses people to do it because we become hands and feet. It's like, you know what? Come here. I'm going to pray for you. I don't even ask people's permission anymore. Come here, waiter. Come here, waitress. You know you want a big tip. I'm laying hands on you before I tip you. And you know what? I got more than just a little prayer. Let me tell you how God sees you. I tell everybody everywhere I go. They got to know. They don't know. Everybody say they don't know. They just don't know. You know, when the woman at the well came to Jesus, or when, she, when Jesus came to the woman at the well and asked her to get water, she's like, who are you to ask me to get you water? And he says, if you knew who was asking you. It's this understanding that when we pour out our lives, when we pour out an offering, when we come together in unity and dwell together in unity, and God creates a unified church, something from heaven is going to pour out. And God is not going to give us revival and a thousand more people and thousands and thousands of people until we become unified. He won't let us become a mega church for the sake of mega church, and that's not even my dream. My dream are people that don't know what I know coming into this place and going, shuck, I've been living a lie for so long. I've been so bored and tired of church, but when I came to Rock City, something happened to me. And I can't wait to be inside those doors. And you say, man, I got to have more. I got to have more. I want to experience this fire and this prophecy that Pastor David's talking. I've been having nightmares every night. I can't sleep. I'm popping pills nonstop. I'm tired. And I need more. And Pastor David says, come on Wednesday nights. Supernormal natural. So you can get a prophetic word, interpret a dream, get hands laid on you, get free. You say, man, that freaky, weird Pentecostal stuff, I don't know. But I'm tired of living the same way. You're like that woman that says, man, I've been having issues for so long. At some point, you say, I'm going to get some more in my life. And you say, I'm ready to go up that mountain. You know, not everybody wanted to go up the mountain. Not everybody did, so Moses went. But at some point, you got to say, I'm ready to go too. And the word of faith doesn't say, who will ascend? Romans 9, who will go for me to the height? Who will go for me to the depth? But the word of faith says, it's right on your mouth and right on your heart. That's how near Jesus wants to be to you. He wants to be that near to you. And I'm going to leave you with this last scripture. Because this last scripture really sums everything up that I'm trying to teach you today everything. Psalm 68 verse 5. The father is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. So God's in his holy habitation, which now he inhabits mankind, but he's also there. He's there and here, and we're here and there. It's all in the Bible. We're in both places. But it says that God is a father to the fatherless, and he's a defender of those who have lost their hope 
those who have lost their support, their natural earth support, their natural unity with their husband. He says, now he'll become the father to the widow and he'll become a father to the fatherless. Verse six. So what he does is he takes those that have been isolated and solitary. Solitary means you've been confined. Solitary means you've been alone. Solitary means you only have a few friends and, and no one to really lean on in the midst of a hard time. Solitary means you go it alone and you watch your own back because nobody else will. I see people like that all the time. I got this and we say, I got this. If, if I don't watch my back, nobody else will. That's a lie. You need a body. You need a family. You're not supposed to go through this alone. God always intended family. So God takes those that have been isolated and puts them in family. And then he brings those who have been in bondage. And I mean bound is bondage. I don't know how else to say it to you. Bound is bondage. Bondage to what? Fear, worry, anxiety, depression, addictions, pornography, drugs, meth, coke. I don't care what it is. Alcohol, you name it. Bound into anything. Fear. Fear is one of the biggest things that binds people. Shame. So many of you have shame. Man, I've seen people that as soon as I get around them, I can feel a stiff arm in the spirit. They're just like, stay back, pastor. You're not gonna like me. You don't wanna be around me. I'm so messed up. I'm so screwed up. And that's a lie. If you really knew how much Jesus loved you, you'd be running to him. I preached a funeral, Joey's funeral, and I'm telling people how Jesus loves you. So I'm preaching the gospel, and some people are getting them walking out. They think it's too preacher. They don't like it. I don't know what to tell you. Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. He loves you. And he didn't die to appease an angry God. This is Old Testament. He died to bring you into a family. He died to rescue you. He died. He gave his life so you could see what it means for us to lay each other's lives down for each other. So now we lay our life down. And guess what? We create a family. Rock City is a family. You've got to see this. I don't want you to just play your church duty. I don't want you to come and get your Christian itch filled. Because I don't need the money. I don't, need more, I don't need more people. I want you to be so lit up on fire. I want you to transform the people around you. And I want to see heaven opened up. That brings healing to people's lives. He sets the solitary in families. And he brings those that are bound into what? Prosperity. This isn't a prosperity message, but it is. Prosperity in the context of mentally, physically, and spiritually whole. He'll break the addictions out of your life. He'll prosper you and bless you in all that you do. And I'm not talking about just having more money, though more money gets to be a part of that too. Because God delights in the prosperity, prosperity of his children, and I mean in every area. He doesn't want you broke, busted, and disgusted. But first, you've got to expand internally if you're going to expand externally. If you want more money, a better job, if you want promotions, if you want to have more breakthrough in the natural, on the external, then you've got to have breakthrough internally. Before you get expanded externally, you've got to get expanded internally. So he takes the fatherless, he takes those that are in bondage and puts them into, into uh, families and prosperity. But here's the contrast. Everybody say the contrast. Man, I'm sorry if I ever got to tell you any bad news. I mean, the gospel's all good news, but there's a portion of understanding contrast. Contrast is the difference between dark and light. Here's the difference between dark and light. If we stay rebellious, you'll stay dry. What is rebellious? It's rejecting. It's I don't want. It's apathy. It's I don't need church. I don't need Christians. And look, I am telling you we need each other. I am trying to grow this church because I know people are alone. I know people that have lost babies. I know people that have gone through the most difficult situations without anybody to stand with. And when my wife and I were fighting in the trenches for the life of our daughter, when she was lifeless inside her womb, I had a brother sitting out inside the waiting room with long hair, Ryan, who's not here, playing a guitar. And the nurse comes in and says, is that your brother out there? I said, yeah, call him in. And Ryan comes in and we open up the windows and Kayla, who's part of our family, is kneeling down at the side of the bed. She cut up a sat out of a cop praying. We let all the team leaders know and all the team leaders are praying and interceding and suddenly worship and prayer is going up and we're contending and we're fighting for light. And it's shifted and changed everything within us. And then I had my family come and sit with us and, and love on us and comfort us. And then I had my other friends, Josh and Meredith, go and be with the kids. And then I had people praying and loving because I wasn't alone and neither was she. And suddenly, instead of what could have been the worst, most horrible, lifeless, dead thing in our lives, suddenly, even through the loss of Eden Grace, 
life and resurrection has come. Because now we're more in love, more on fire, more determined and walking in more faith than we ever walked in before. And when we couldn't clean out our daughter's room, Doug and Mary Feck came and broke the crib down and put everything into storage for us. When we couldn't make it for a week, people were bringing us food because we weren't, and it wasn't just a pastor thing. When you get into a relationship and get into a family, you get the benefits of a family. And I can never imagine going through life alone. Break off the shame, break off the disunity, break off the offenses, and let's fight. Yeah. Let's fight together. Come on. Woo! So let's all stand because we're going to fight right, right now. You have been listening to a message from David Vendette, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. And until next time, stay fired up.